Welcome back to the Red Dice Diaries RPG podcast with John and Anna. Hi. And today we're going to be talking about the abominable snowman. So the abominable snowman, or the yeti as you might know him, is a cryptid that features in Himalayan folklore and it's described as an ape-like creature inhabiting the Himalayan mountain range. And as we've said earlier, it's commonly referred to as the abominable snowman. So we're going to have a little bit of a look at how this is represented in a couple of different versions of D&D. So that's going to be AD&D 1st Edition and the latest D&D 5th Edition. And then we're going to talk a little bit about how you might like to use it in your D&D games. Okay, so Hannah, you've been looking at the 1st Edition AD&D Monster Manual. What does that have to say about the Yeti? Well, first up, picture... Pen and line, love it, always do. In yeah, it's that old books. school black and white, isn't it? Yeah, yeah it's just begging to be coloured in with felt tips. No, it's not. <laughs> Photocopied and then coloured in yeah, with felt tips. Yeah, right, that's fair enough. <laughs> wouldn't sully an original D&D book, come on. So Yetis, uh, they're very rare. Armour class 6, hit dice 4 plus 4. Uh, treasure type D, I can't remember what that means. Probably not a lot of treasure for a Yeti. Um, they're impervious to cold, average intelligence, and they get two hit attacks for 1d6 each. Okay. Uh, da, 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 da. So the Yeti attacks with two claws. If one of the attacks succeeds with a dice score of 20, so if it gets a crit... Uh, he has grabbed and squeezed the opponent for 2 to 16, so 2d8 additional points of chill damage. And if he surprised them, they also have to save versus paralyze, or they're paralyzed for the next three rounds with fright. And while they're paralyzed, they can automatically be struck and squeezed. No, it makes sense. You know, if you're frozen with fear, they can just grab you and like. They're nearly invisible. They're not affected by cold, but they are damaged extra by fire, 50%. And then there's just the standard stuff about, you know, how many in the lair. And they're, descri- and they're described as having pale blue, almost colourless eyes. Okay, well, let's see how that stacks up against the 5th edition version. There's actually not that much in 5th edition version, to be honest. You get a... Uh, a fairly sort of like space filling picture like takes up over half a page and it's just a picture of basically a white furred bear with like a slightly yeah, apish face and because it looks like it was probably clipped out of a much nicer background yeah i mean <laughs> it, it's got additional skills at perception and stealth both a plus three immune to cold it's got dark vision apparently speaks its own language imaginatively called yeti it has fear of fire. If it takes fire damage, it takes disadvantage on attack and ability checks until the end of its next turn, although it doesn't take extra damage like in AD&D. It has a keen sense of smell that gives it advantage on wisdom perception checks that rely on it, and it has advantage on deck stealth checks made to hide in snowy terrain. So again, it's virtual invisibility, camouflage in snow. It gets, obviously, the, the smorgasbord of special abilities that all monsters tend to have in 5th edition. It gets multi-attack. It can use a chilling gaze and make two claw attacks. Claw attacks do 
1d4 6 plus 4 slashing damage plus 1d6 cold damage and the chilling gaze it targets one creature it can see within 30 feet of it the target has to make a con save or they take 3d6 cold damage and they're paralyzed for one minute unless they're immune to cold damage so pretty similar mm-hmm. to to the AD&D version we also get as is often the way in 5th edition a sort of scaled up version called the Abominable Yeti here which is larger than a normal Yeti standing three times as tall as a human and it's basically the 5th edition typically wiggly <coughs> excuse to fill up a little bit of extra pages by throwing in another massive stat block because you know obviously you couldn't work out that you needed to add some hit point onto something and basically give it the same abilities just all scaled up a bit but you know they've got half a page to fill up so why not we're told they're keen hunters terrifying howlers that local people believe their voice is a howl of ill omens we're told that when mountain herds are abundant they're pretty much calm and placid they stay away from the humanoid realms it's only the the sort of starvation period or the lean times that sort of bring them down from the mountain and force them to interact with humanoids and then we get a bit more on the abominable yetis and now they're like bigger versions and as I say, it's a shame that so much of this seems to be filler because we've got this massive picture which takes up over half an A4 page. We've got two stat blocks, each of which together takes up about an A4 page. Whereas the actual background, which is pretty interesting, you get less than half a page, which I think is a little bit of a shame. You know, they could find all that space for an extra big picture and a couple of extra big stat blocks. But I don't know, like they're probably not big for 5th edition, but compared to the editions i'm used to they're big start blocks but they couldn't squeeze out a little bit more background information now that might be because they're cryptids and you know they're sort of unknowable and mysterious but that massive picture does just seem like a way to like fill in space in a book that's probably had a certain mandated amount of pages but i don't know that for sure i could be wrong so that's how the yeti looks in dnd or ADD, depending on which of those books you're looking at so i'm going to talk a little bit about some of the mythology in the real world so in himalayan folklore the yeti is this huge ape-like creature that inhabits the himalayan mountain range as we've said it's commonly referred to as the abominable snowman in tibetan lore there's three types of creatures that are ostensibly called yetis i'm probably going to butcher the pronunciation but i'll do my best anyway there's the there's the nialmo which is the biggest of the yeti it's supposed to stand about 15 feet tall it has black fur which would seem to like go against the whole camouflage in the snow bit but never mind and it's incredibly fierce there is the chuti which is eight foot tall it's supposed to live about eight thousand to ten thousand feet above sea level and lastly there is the rang simabobo which has red or brown fur and is only three to five feet tall so more sort of like monkey like sort of version the term abominable snowman comes from the 1921 british mount everest reconnaissance expedition where lieutenant colonel charles howard burry found some odd prints and his sherpa guide at the time said they must have been made by the wild man of the snow and as he translated that it became sort of corrupted into the abominable snowman 
According to some, the Yeti is the remnant of an ancient hunt god, or like a sort of pagan, almost green man sort of style figure from the pre-Buddhist beliefs of some Himalayan people. Now, re reports in sort of popular culture of the Yeti began to increase in the sort of 20th century when like, more Westerners became interested in going up the mountains. They started to become more exposed to these tribal legends and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, there's that dude that took the photo with the ice pick on. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, like I say, it, obviously the, the local people had always had these legends but when the explorers started to come there, they started hearing these legends, seeing strange things. They couldn't understand footprints in the snow. Mm -hmm. They went back and told other people it got out to the world at large. And as we know, people love a mystery. They love to speculate about things. Even in the pre-internet days, you know, with like newspapers publishing reports and stuff like that. Especially when, if you're going to be an explorer back in them days, you had to be like mm -hmm. pretty rich. And you normally had like quite a substantial rep uh, reputation behind you. So... You get someone who's like a, a sort of fine, upstanding, like well-off adventurer comes back and he's like, oh, I went up this mountain and I saw these giant footprints and I heard this thing screaming in the distance. People tended to go, oh, I must be telling the truth, you know. And the stories just tended to spread from there. And as we know, like stories, when they spread from person to person, even nowadays, but especially back then, they tend to become a little bit distorted, a little bit exaggerated. You get that sort of echo effect as things go along. So that's a little bit about the sort of Yeti mythology in the real world. Obviously, there's a lot more than we've touched on there. So mm -hmm. please, we, we urge you, if you're interested in this, go and do your research on cryptids. It's a very interesting topic. But obviously, we can't cover everything in this episode. But And we've looked at how they're represented in D&D. But how could you use them in a D&D game? I mean, obviously, you could just use them as a, a normal standard monster, you know, your party are trekking through a snowy peak somewhere, there's a random encounter roll or a set encounter, they hear a roar in the distance, oh no, here comes the Yeti, but still, still a bit boring, a little bit, a little bit standard, isn't it, you know, for such a creature that's got such a mystique and such a strange fascination in the real world, just bringing it down to the level of like, oh, it's a big white bear that's charging towards you doesn't really seem that yeah. interesting one of the things for me with the yeti as with many of the other sort of cryptids yeah is the fact that it's not sort of it's not so much about the story as it is it's not so much about the monster as it is about the people looking for the monster yeah that's it i mean as we were saying earlier i think you're absolutely right i mean the the whole thing about these explorers the reason everyone like hung on their words is because there were these great the first explorers were these great romantic figures you know braving the unknown or you know they're sort of manly men doing their thing exploring mm -hmm. mountains and stuff and like you say the people were so invested in them already before they came across these legends that the legends only sort of added to that it was more about as you say the, the expeditions you know man trying to like push back the frontiers and stuff like that if i were to be using a yeti type creature in a game yeah it would probably turn out that there is no creature one of the other npc human npcs has made it appear that there is a creature for some nefarious I, I think you're reason. Say it's like a Scooby Doo like reveal there. Very much. <laughs> Very much, yeah. I think that's an interesting idea, but do you not think the danger is that if you've 
built up you know this big yeti and everything when you get to it and it's like oh mr jones the janitor or whatever it might be like a little bit of an anti-climax well see this is where you don't do it too often and you bear in mind that that is quite a bold move to take with the D D party that's just got fired up to fight a boss monster and then ended up in like a poirot style parlor scene I mean, I think, I think as well, like, cause you know me, I love a Scooby-Doo That cartoon. could be really good fun once in a campaign. Yeah, I mean, if it was every week, everyone would get annoyed at you way too quick. I mean, don't, don't get me wrong, like, you know I love a Scooby-Doo cartoon, but I think that the one potential problem you have with using that sort of style of thing in D&D is, obviously, in a Scooby-Doo cartoon, that quite often, like, the monster, in inverted commas, like, shows up and it chases them around for a bit. And, it's, and at the end, they construct some clever trap, and then they're like, oh, it was old Mr. Jenkins. However, if you're like fake Yeti, like starts rolling up on the party, they're not going to run away. They're probably just going to like batter it to death and then mm-hmm. be like, oh, actually, when they get to it, they'll be like, oh, actually, it wasn't a Yeti, but we've killed it now anyway. So, like. Yeah. Uh, th- th- there's a lot you'd have to fiddle with to make it work for D&D. Yeah, but dig it wrong. I think. I think the idea of having it as a sort of a mystery or an investigation is a good one because, as you were rightly saying, the the main sort of allure of them in the real world, it's not so much the creature themselves. It's like, you know, when you watch these programmes, you don't watch them to, to like, expecting them to actually have proved that the Yeti exists. You know, when you see these TV programmes on, like, various channels where they're off in search of them you're more interested in like, oh you know what sort of person like dedicates their life to hunting a yeti like what sort of equipment they're doing what drives them how do they feel that like they're gonna find See, it when no one else has the way i would approach it would be to say there's a bounty on the yeti's head yeah there are two or more groups who want to hunt the yeti with npc of interest in each group yeah and it would eventually come down to the players choosing sides with this guy or that guy as to which one they want to team up with. It could be the guy that's scamming everyone, that says he's caught a hundred yetis in his past, but actually he's just got some monkey or ghost goat skin and a bear paw. Yeah. It could be the sceptic team who claim that the yetis don't exist at all but actually in your game they do exist it's just that the other guy was faking and then your skeptic team might find evidence of actual yetis and have to get it to the end before the uh, fakers team could take that out from under them and steal the glory There's, there's all sorts of ways that you could make all this work without ever actually having a yeti in the game for more than a couple of seconds yeah and i think uh, you're absolutely right i think it's interesting you mention evidence as well because i see like i say whenever you see these these news reports or these stories about you know oh, someone's seen a yeti there's always someone who's like oh i've got a plastic cast of a footprint or like oh, i've got this bit of hair that mysteriously goes missing before it can be scientifically analyzed that sort of thing so i think if you if you're going to run a sort of slightly more I suppose X-Files-y like investigate sort of Yeti story you need to sort of focus on like the evidence it leaves behind rather than the creature itself because mm-hmm. you can then you can still have people finding stuff 
but there's still room for a little bit of reasonable doubt. Because let's say you're on the hunt for a Yeti and you, you've gone to an area where it's supposed to be and you find like a straggly bit of like white fur caught on a branch, sort of like low down. Now you could be like, oh, that's, that's the fur of the Yeti, like the Yeti's been through it. But also you could be like, yep, yep, it could be from like a mountain goat. It could be, it could be from like the, the coat of an expert. It could be from anything. But I think the idea is as you sort of like put more and more of the, these bits and pieces in, as you accumulate more and more evidence, the weight of it then tends to support that like, oh, there is something going on up here. It's not just the hair anymore. We've now also found the footprints. We found claw marks on that tree. We found that deer that was like ripped open with big claw marks on it or whatever. So I think part of the investigation should be like finding signs of the Yeti. But as with any sort of investigation or mystery, you kind of want to keep the monster itself off screen as much as you possibly can. Because don't get me wrong, Yetis, are, I think they're absolutely cool as, otherwise we wouldn't be doing an episode mm-hmm. on them. But in a D&D game, once you sort of bring it centre stage and the spotlights on it, it's just another monster with some hit points it's, it's and a couple a of abilities. It's a cold attack. Yeah, it's a bear with a cold <laughs> attack that's slightly more intelligent and yeah. looks a bit weird. That that that's all it is if you break it down in terms of like the gameplay. So like I said, like we said earlier on, just having it as a normal monster, yeah, you can do that if you want, but it's a little bit boring. Whereas making it into like the end of a mystery, I think is a far more entertaining route. And potentially you can get a whole session or a number of sessions out of that. So what would you say, love, in terms of so let's say we're doing a mystery plot line. Mm-hmm. They've gone through, we're like tracking it down. They found the footprints, the claw marks, all of that. Yada yada yada. Yeah. For the sake of argument in this, we're assuming it is an actual yeti. Okay. How how do you think? Let's say you've done all the discovery. How do you think? How would you think the final sort of uh, scene of that investigation would play out? You know. Well, you've effectively got three options, haven't you? Fight, flight, friend. Yeah. Either the yeti's gonna disappear off with yeti magic that the players have no chance yeti magic yeti magic they're going to end up in a fight yeah and the fight is just about the payoff for that mystery and how well that mystery played out yeah you do a good fight at the end of that maybe the yeti's been hunting them for the last two days and they've seen the yeti sign and they've heard yetis howling They've not actually seen the Yeti. Yeah. And it gets like that sort of paranoia thing of them eventually having to face off against it. Yeah. Or somehow you humanise the Yeti and well, yeah, I mean, the as players well. allow it to live and go about its business without them destroying the mystery. Well, yeah, I mean, as we've seen in like, certainly in the 5th edition version, it has its own language. So it's obviously intelligent enough to have a language. Mm-hmm. So it's not simply an animal. Although obviously you could you could do that spin on it if yeah. you wanted to in your game. But uh, I tell you what, I think it'd be a, an interesting thing as well. Is obviously we talked about in like the real world, you know, people who went on these big like Antarctic expeditions mm-hmm. and these Everest expeditions. They were well off people because you had yeah. to have, you had to have a bit of that sweet sweet money behind you to like finance an expedition like that, or you had to be well in with a big society or organisation who would fund that for whatever reason. Now, obviously, if you're high level adventurers like in D and D, you might be rolling deep in that gold piece life and be able to finance it yourself. But if you're like a bit lower down the totem pole, and then another interesting thing could be like who's actually like funding your like expedition or your investigation because 
if, if you have like some NPC like guild or group who is funding that and sending you there, you've also then got the interesting thing of like, well, what are their motives for actually sending us there? You know, what do they actually want the Yeti for? And because it's a fantasy game, that could be all sorts of things. I mean, you could be being sent by like a wizard who wants it captured because he's heard that only the claws of a yeti will enable him to make like his fabled crown of cold or whatever. You know, he wants it as some sort of magical ingredient. You could have nobles who like want or want the pelt of a yeti, mm-hmm. something like that. You could um, you could always put like a bit of a sort of lovecraftian spin on it where maybe like yetis are some sort of like distant branch of like the human family tree and some sort of like in an insmouth style maybe someone's like got yeti blood in them and they're trying to find out about their ancestors and sort of get back to their homeland or whatever Mm. i think there's a number of interesting ways you could spin that it allows you to either bring in existing groups or like introduce new groups because quite often we have like various guilds for like thieving and stuff like that but it's certainly in my experience, it's very rare in a game you have like an explorer's guild or like someone who pays you to go out and like explore. And obviously, certainly in certain versions yeah. of D&D, exploration's a big thing. It really should be a bigger thing. Yeah, it's I mean, not been in any game I've played. It's been certainly in the game I'm running at the minute. And um, one of the reasons I love my hex crawls is I love the idea of like you going out and finding out what's on the map. And you find it out as the game goes along. And I think having a story like this, it's almost like a microcosm of that sort of bigger scale exploration of the mm-hmm. map in D&D. It's not like, oh, we're going to explore the world map and find out what's all these hexes. It's like there's something hidden in that mountain range, in that small contained area, so it's easier to deal with. But obviously small in relative terms, you know, it's still a massive mountain range. We've now got to go out and try and track down this thing. We know it's in the mountain somewhere, so we aren't going to range across the whole map. We're instead like laser focusing in on that small area and trying to find where this creature's making its lair. I think that could be like really interesting. Also, as well, for just another random option, we talked earlier about how it's potentially in the real world could be a holdover from the sort of pre Buddhist beliefs of some people mm-hmm. in Tibet. So perhaps in your game, maybe there are like tribes of people who worship the Yeti. I mean, to be fair, it could be a god in a D&D game. Well, yeah, you know, I mean, or or if you if you're rocking that sort of like a like OD and D vibe, maybe it's an immortal, you know, a creature that's halfway between uh, your standard people and like your gods, or maybe it's some huge elemental primordial or something like that, mm. and the people who live in the shadow of the mountain sort of appease it with sacrifices and offerings of food and whatever, in the hope that maybe it will spare them from the avalanche and all the horrible weather maybe it does and maybe it doesn't down to you for your game but that could add an interesting sort of religious element to it what do you do if you if you rock up to an area as a group either on your own merit or sponsored by a an npc group and you're like oh we're gonna hunt the yeti and then not only did you find yourself potentially in danger from the yeti but also from these like tribes of people who aren't very keen on you like coming here and like trying to hunt their god Mm. because it's blasphemous well yeah and, and it's so it, it gives me like a, a very sort of like you know like king kong sort of vibe mm-hmm. you know where it's it's basically sort of rich well-off people going to a place they don't really know very well they're outsiders there and they're coming in and going oh we want to we want to take this creature for our purposes we're not really bothered about what effect it's going to have on the people here we're just going to have it 
So again, I think you could so quite often in D and D you get that contrast between like the church and like old pagan beliefs. I think sort of throwing something in like this could be a, an interesting way of like putting a slightly different spin on a very sort of often used trope in D and D games. Mm. So can you think of anything else, or shall we wrap it up? Wrap it up. Okay. So there you are. There's a few thoughts from us on how the Yeti is represented in D&D. A little sprinkling of real-world myths and beliefs on it, and a couple of suggestions as to how you can use it in your D&D game. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you want to get in touch with us, maybe tell us how you've used the Yeti or the Abominable Snowman in your games, or just chat about anything RPG-related. We really do appreciate your calls. You can get in touch with us a couple of different ways, either leaving a voicemail on SpeakPipe or Anchor, link in the description down below, or you could send us an email to rddrpgpodcast at gmail.com. So until we see you again, take care, stay safe, and whatever you're playing, have fun. Bye.